There are so many people getting pregnant now during quarantine. There's gonna be like such a bump however many years like down the road. Like they're gonna have to build extra schools because <laughs> these people are just getting pregnant left and right. No, every, <laughs> I know so many people between like, November, I'd say between like December and February of due dates. I can think of like 10 people off the top of my head right now who are having kids around that time that I know personally and so yeah definitely huge quarantine baby baby surge um which I guess is cool I just every time I go on Facebook I just see baby 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 I'm like you're not unique a lot anymore of quarantine engagements too I'm like it's is it is it, it's like Christmas or something I feel like. I don't know like you're bored at home and you're like well might as well get or maybe they had been planning to be engaged yeah. and they're just like sitting there with the ring uh, I don't know. Possible. Congratulations to everyone. Yes. Whatever stage you are in your life, even if nothing new is happening for you, congratulations. You That's made it me another day. Right now. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. Yeah, so this week we're deviating. Last week we um, did, um, it was pretty heavy last week. And um, I think we we tend to like kind of ebb and flow and go through different types of um, lighter kind of uh, themed crimes. And so this week we decided to do celebrity crimes. Um, And as you know, there are plenty of females or celebrities in general, but female celebrities, since that's our theme, um, that commit crimes. As you know, I'm doing the case of Winona Ryder. Mm, Um, I love Winona Ryder. So I have like a complicated relationship with Winona Ryder, but after writing this bio, like or like doing all of this and like getting into like like doing a deep dive in her, I I feel like my heart has softened towards okay. Winona Ryder. Um, and I will say so why I dis I've like historically disliked or not been a big fan of Winona Ryder is because of Beetlejuice and because it scared the poop out of me. That was a scary. <laughs> Movie. I'm still kind of scared of that movie. Yeah, and so that was the first thing I ever saw, and so I was like, mm, "Nope, not gonna happen." Like, saying like, kind my- of a creepy person. So, well, yeah. Okay, so uh, today I am doing the case that many of us are familiar with, uh, the case of the shoplifting starlet Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder, whose last name is actually Horowitz, was born in 1971 to parents Christina Palmer and Michael Horowitz. Uh, Winona was actually born in and named after the city of Winona, Minnesota, which is, I guess, where her parents lived and I guess loved the name. And so Winona. Um, when Winona was seven years old, her family moved from the quaint city of Winona to a commune near Elk, California named Rainbow. And the family lived communally with seven other families on 300 acres. And because the families lived without electricity or television, Winona spent much of her time reading books, um, and that's kind of where she, like, I guess, started to get her interest in, um like guess the more written arts and like acting and things like that and so in school Winona was often bullied because of her quote-unquote androgynous looks Um, and she she began acting lessons in 1983 and by 1986 she was cast in her first film 
just a few years later, she rose to stardom by starring in the, as I just said, um, in my opinion, terrifying film, uh, Beetlejuice. And then she went on to star in classics like Heather's. Love Edward Heather's. Sizzler, really? I've never seen it. It's really, um, it's like, uh, looking back on it, like, it is maybe questionable and like wouldn't, nothing like that would be made ever today. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just like so over the top and ridiculous. And, you know, okay. I totally, like if some people are offended by it, like I totally hear you and like I get it. But yeah. I personally am not offended by it. And I just thought it was like a really well done film and just the overall message. But it's, oh, it's just, well, it's, it, there's it's a lot of suicide. A classic, so. There's a lot of suicide in it, which is why uh. it's like, and then like it's just but no one ever actually dies by suicide it's just that they are like dying by being murdered but everyone is so like or they like stage it as suicides so it's just like so over the top and so ridiculous so i understand it's not for everyone but it's it's really fun and like they're they like bomb the school like it's really messed up it's really well don't give away the plot spoiler alert guys (laughs) it's just messed up okay (laughs) um so other other movies that winona started included edward scissorhands uh little women i've never seen the 1994 version but i just saw the one that came out um i guess this year late last year i forgot what it was and i thought that was really good um never read the book book. i don't like to read it i've never seen the movies i don't know anything about little women i like the new one um with uh um uh, and also Girl Interrupted. So I've seen Girl Interrupted. Also terrifying. Um, yeah, pretty pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. Pretty and so for up. yeah, so for all intents and purposes, Winona had mastered the outcast role um, and was essentially a household name in the 80s and 90s. Um, in 1993, this is actually kind of a little sad. Um, a 12 year old girl named Polly was kidnapped from the town that Winona grew up in in California. Winona offered a $200,000 reward for Polly's return. Unfortunately, Polly was not found alive, and this deeply affected Winona. Uh, She went on to dedicate her 1994 performance as Joe in Little Women to Polly's memory, as Little Women was one of um, Polly's favorite books. Eight years later, Winona experienced what some tabloid and gossip magazines described as a, quote, fall from grace. On December 12th, 2001, she was arrested by the LAPD in Beverly Hills, California, on suspicion of shoplifting charges. Winona was accused of stealing more than $5,000 worth of designer clothing and accessories from the department store Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, At the time of her arrest, she was also found in possession of prescription drugs without a valid prescription in her name. So before she was formally arrested, she was caught by department store security and had already agreed to and signed a civil demands, um, like kind of a summons, uh, to return the merchandise and agreed to pay for it all. Um, Still, the Los Angeles district attorney filed four felony charges against Winona. Her legal team pushed for a plea deal, but the LADA uh, seemed to be adamant about making an example out of Winona and refused to accept anything other than a guilty plea, nor were they willing to drop the charges down to misdemeanor offenses. During the trial, surveillance video of her stealing the items was shown. Um, There was actually the, I think the district attorney um, and the media both like came out basically saying that Winona was seen on video cutting like the tags off of clothing um, and like stuffing them or hiding them. Um, That is actually not on the videotape. And it seems that that was um, said purposely to help kind of sway the public opinion against Winona. And I think it was said um, first by the L.A. district attorney or someone um, in the prosecutor's office but that was completely false um and so ultimately winona was acquitted of the felony charge of burglary but she was convicted of grand theft shoplifting and vandalism and so as i read this like i personally was confused about the difference between some of these charges specifically burglary grand theft and shoplifting because to me i'm like is that not all just one thing um and it seems kind of i don't know was it triple jeopardy i don't know um but so i looked into it and so according to nolo.com grand theft is theft in which a minimum 
of property worth anywhere from $500 to $1,000 or more is taken, and the property is taken directly from a person by means other than force or fear. Um, so if you use force or fear to like steal something, that's considered robbery. Um, theft that doesn't qualify as grand is considered petty theft, and shop- shoplifting is what it sounds like, so knowingly taking something from a shop without paying for it. Um, and so the thing that I did not know, despite being alive all these years, is that burglary is actually entering a building with the intent of committing a crime inside. Um, and so it's possible that all three of those things can take place at once and be three separate like acts um, within the same crime. Um, And so, as it seems, the prosecution was not able to successfully argue or prove that Winona went into Saks Fifth Avenue with the intention of committing a crime. That's why she was not charged with, um, or that's why she was not convicted of felony burglary. During the trial, because she was found with prescription drugs at the time of her arrest, and I guess possibly because of her behavior, Winona was accused of being on opioids without valid prescriptions. Um, During her sentencing, her attorney argued that Winona had done past charitable works um, that should be considered in the sentencing decision. One of the charitable acts that he cited was Winona's work with the Polly Class Foundation, um, the foundation that was created in the memory of the 12-year-old girl who was kidnapped and and murdered from Winona's town. Um, And so the district attorney in the trial, Anne Rundle, responded that it was, quote, offensive that Winona's legal team would, quote, trot out the body of a dead child, end quote, to receive leniency. This statement visibly upset Winona because that's not what she was trying to do at all. I think it was more of um, like, hey, look at the character of this person throughout their life. Well, yeah, um, it probably and wasn't not... even her idea. It was probably her lawyers that yeah. were just like, we're doing this. We're saying this. And she just yeah. rolled with it. Yeah. And um, not only that, Polly's father actually attended the trial um, and he was like livid. He defended Winona and he was completely outraged that the district attorney would say something so horrific. Um, um, I guess he believed that he knew Winona's intentions and he knew like her heart in that regard. And that's not what they were trying to do. And to also, um, I guess, classify his or to characterize his daughter that way um, was just very like horrible for him to hear and the judge agreed and actually reprimanded the district attorney for making that statement um a year following the arrest winona was sentenced to three years of probation 480 hours of community service three thousand seven hundred dollars in fines and she had to pay restitution to Saks fifth avenue to the tune of six thousand three hundred and fifty five dollars Um, In addition, the judge ordered Winona to attend mental health counseling for her psychological health and possible um, drug use. In 2004, her felonies were reduced to misdemeanors, and she completed her probation in December of 2005. In later interviews, Winona explained that she was going through a very difficult time when she shoplifted. She said that at the time, she was clinically depressed and that she was under the care of a physician named Jules Mark Lessman who, unbeknownst to her, was practicing health fraud, um, and he was overprescribing her heavy painkillers that clouded her judgment. Winona's claims about this physician are for the are, sorry. Winona's claims about this physician are further supported by the fact that years later, Jules Mark Lessman was accused of unethically prescribing prescription nar- narcotics to wealthy and famous quote unquote drug seekers, which is what the article said. I don't like the term drug seekers but i guess that's what they're using um and he ultimately had his medical license revoked by the medical board of california um and i i don't i think especially given the fact that she was being prescribed opioids um most of which that she said she obtained like she obtained from her doctor but then were found without like a valid prescription um 
I don't know, like it kind of speaks to the opioid crisis that we're currently in right now and that there are like doctor or that there were and possibly still are doctors who um, some of which were getting kickbacks from like these big drug companies um, for overprescribing and like providers who were actively overprescribing knowing that patients were seeking drugs and needed, um, I don't know, probably um, substance use intervention um, instead of over prescription of painkillers. Um, painkillers are not first line for dealing with pain. Um, and so ultimately Winona took a break from acting and having a life in the public eye following the scandal. She describes this hi- hiatus as a quote great awakening and she said that she was transformed into doing stuff that she really wanted to do during that time and so um yeah it seems like the though a you know blemish i guess in her life um the whole thing was a seemingly a wake-up call um and she was able to get some of the help that she needed for drug use and um, her depression and as most people know now she's been starring in stranger things and yeah that is the case of winona Ryder shoplifting five thousand dollars worth of fancy things yeah that's one of those crazy and i hope that we continue to cover some celebrity cases because i think shooting to stardom in itself is such a has such a fascinating impact like on a person's mental health you know having a bunch of people who praise you and a bunch of people who hate you all at the same time never having met you before and you know having unlimited access to money or like funds or you know having influence when you go to the doctor you know you might be they might be more inclined to um you know prescribe you a little bit extra extra or Mm -hmm. you would have easier access because you know if one doctor doesn't prescribe it you could just go to a different doctor like cost is not a concern for you um I'm sure, you know, insurance is definitely not a concern. So just that in itself, or or like being able to have access to any type of plastic surgery you want, like just that has to have such a substantial impact on your mind. And I think clearly in this case with Winona, that was playing out because it's not like she didn't have the money to purchase these things. I think it, it, I wonder if it was, you know, kind of testing the limits of you know when you're a celebrity you can almost get away with so much that it's like you I would imagine in some cases you feel you know like really powerful and like there's no Mm -hmm. no limits to what you can do like celebrities get like DUIs all the time and stuff because they can just throw money at the problem and make it go away exactly and I mean we see we've seen that um you know like how many other you know young people who i don't know starlets like kind of you know fall from great fall from grace that way yeah amanda Bynes, britney spears people who were in the public eye for so long demi lovato i guess is like a more recent Mm -hmm. um case um we can even argue right now yeah well uh, okay (laughs) i don't know if that's like a whole other (laughs) but um yeah, like, I think that there's, like, everything that you said I completely agree with. Um, and there's, like, an aspect of the entire world is watching you, right? Mm-hmm. Every single thing that you're doing is, like, under scrutiny. And so you, like, are not allowed to mess up. But maybe one day you're like, screw it. Like, right. what happens if I do? Um, and, yeah, I don't envy, like, I'm, I'm somebody who doesn't like people looking in my direction. And so I don't envy any celebrity who has to, like, live under a microscope and, like, you know, what they eat is, like, headline news. Like, I feel so bad for, like, Prince Harry and, like, Meghan Markle who, like, can't, I don't know, she can't, like, buy a pair of shoes without the whole world saying that she's, you know, tarnishing the crown or some nonsense. Like, or she's, like, just, oh, a terrible mother because of X, Y, or Z. Like, yeah, like, just everyone having an opinion and then all, like, feeling like you need, feeling like you need to maintain control, but it's because other people are the ones that are in control. And so kind of taking back that control a little bit. Um, and not just that, like, obviously, um, I think... Uh, mental health and like drug use and things like that um 
are a factor in decision making um, and a lot of times things like this can be a cry for help um, and in a lot of ways like yeah it's definitely wrong to steal and it's not like five thousand like it's not a victimless crime but mm-hmm. um, compared to like going out and like driving drunk or like getting violent or doing things like that mm-hmm. um, it's almost like a weird like blessing in disguise that that was the crime that kind of that the crime that she committed wasn't so horrific that it could be a wake-up call and she could come back from it you well know? right and it seems like she did everything she could to learn from the situation instead mm-hmm. of just being like oh screw everyone like it wasn't that big of a deal and trying to like brush it off you know um, yeah. Well, I mean, she did have some statements. She was like, yeah, well, she, I know. She's like, it wasn't the crime of the century, guys. Which, I mean, it's true. It's true. Like, I mean, no disrespect, but it was 2001. I think right. we all know that a more horrific thing happened in 2001. So, but I do right. think, like, because of the other horrific thing that happened in 2001 in the United States, um, like, people did want something else to focus on, right? Um, they wanted something that's salacious and entertaining to right. like um, kind of focus on. And people like want as messed up as it is. I think that there are a lot of people, and I think all all of us to some degree, like we kind of like or want to be able to like pass judgment on certain things, and not necessarily in like a um, like a malicious or a negative way, but like oh, I have an opinion, or I would never do that. And it's just kind of like human nature, and so. Yeah, it wasn't the crime of the century, so. (laughs) I am doing the case of Jane Fonda, who is one of my heroes in life, I would say. And the more that I've read about her, the more I've become super obsessed with her. And I don't even... I feel like this case I'm doing is just, like, scratching the surface of Jane Fonda and all of the... Um, like activism work that she's done. I don't even get into like her personal life or her children or things like that because it would just be like a four hour episode, which maybe someday. Um, but oh, fun fact I think Evan is somehow distantly related to Jane Fonda. There's like a Fonda New York and the, fa- the Fonda family came in like in like 1600s or something. Um, so I think somehow, some way, he's very much distantly related on his, I think his grandfather, through his grandfather some way. Hmm, but interesting. Not close enough that I would be invited to any parties thrown by Jane Fonda, but whatever. Should see if he's related to Thomas Jefferson. I mean, he might be. <laughs> he's like, he had some relatives that came over on the Mayflower, I think. Fancy. He likes to brag about it all the time. I'm like, we get it. You're white. Like, relax. Um, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, um, so Jane Seymour Fonda was born in December, uh, December 21st, 1937. Her father, Henry Fonda, was a famous actor, and her mother, Frances Ford Seymour, was a Canadian socialite. So she had, she was born into this, you know, kind of stardom type life. As a child, Fonda suffered from low self-esteem and did not have um, much confidence in the way she looked, which is a little hard to imagine considering that she is such an icon now. But um, upon later reflection, Jane said that her father was partially to blame for this. She said that, you know, he was a really good person, but the message he would give to her um, as she was growing up was that no one's going to love you unless you look perfect. Um, So in 1950, when Jane was just 12 years old, her mother died by suicide while receiving treatment at the Craig House Psychiatric Facility in Beacon, New York. Her father remarried later that year to a socialite, Susan Blanchard, who was um, 23 years his junior. So um, she was only seven years older than than Jane at the time. Um, So I was listening to a pod... This is what kind of like made me super into Jane Fonda and all all her stuff. Obviously, like, I knew her from Grace and Frankie, but I wasn't, like, a huge Jane Fonda person. But she did an interview on Death, Sex, and Money where she was talking about this whole situation. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I had no idea that she went through all of this. Um, But she, Jane looked back on her relationship with Susan fondly and, and thought she was very supportive. So in no way was she, 
you know, upset that her father married someone so much younger than him, which I think it would be totally fair um, to feel that way and is just a little strange, someone marrying someone 23 years younger than them. Um, And especially, you know, during such a a rough time in her family Um, and in the podcast that I was just, I just listened to it before we started recording, Jane remembered that, you know, her mother died and her and her brother found out just by reading magazines how she died um and had everyone just kind of stopped talking about her um there there wasn't really anyone left on on her mother's side of the family so she just kind of you know disappeared it felt like and that was something that you know stuck with jane throughout her childhood and and you know now into her adulthood too um i can't even imagine what what that must have been like but you know, certainly I think that had an impact on how Jane, you know, saw the world later on. Um, So she became interested in acting when she appeared with her father in a play called The Country Girl at Omaha Community Playhouse. She started her college career off at Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, but she dropped out to study art in Paris for six months, which like, wow, what a cool person. You're just like, some dishes just crashed in the background um so when she came back to the united states in 1958 she met lee strasberg at the actor's studio he told jane that she was very talented and this sparked something in jane who now believed that acting could be her true passion in life in the 1960s her career in film took off and in 1962 she won the golden globe for most promising newcomer in her only I don't know. I just wrote in her and then O-L space and I. What does that mean? (laughs) It's not even English. Um, So uh, for most promising newcomer in the film Walk on the Wild Side, where she played a sex worker, Jane continued to star in many films and soon became a sex symbol in pop culture. Critics applauded her for not shying away from more scandalous roles. She would later earn a New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Actress and an Oscar nomination before the end of the decade. In 1971, Jane earned an Academy Award for Best Actress after starring as a sex worker in a murder mystery called Clute. In order to prepare for this role, Jane interviewed several sex workers and madams. Her role was widely praised, and Roger Ebert, who, like, um, he was a famous film critic in the Chicago Sun-Times. It, pretty well-known. You, you've probably heard of him. Um, but I just remember, like, we got the Chicago Sun-Times growing up. So, like, whenever I would read about movies, it was, like, always him. Um, but he... I remember, I remember um, thinking... Like, I would... He was obviously... Everyone knew who he was. But I was like, if he says he doesn't like it, then that means I will. <laughs> I'm just well, that's that fair. of a person. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I think that like you were saying like even our taste in movies is so like radically different but and well there's a difference between saying like i don't like i'm just not into this movie but i recognize that it's well done you know um yeah. like horror movies i will never like a horror movie but if i watched one i could say like wow that was really well written um nope. but <laughs> i just feel like as a child i like that was the guy you know like yeah. he yeah. I, like if a movie ever came like i would go and like read it and see what he had to say um but like what what kind of taste in movies did i have in as a child i was just like oh, anything with mary kate and ashley and it's groundbreaking so who knows <laughs> um but he suggested that the movie should have been named after her character brie which is my cat's name sabrina we call her brie b anyway um so in the 1971 through 1972 award season jane won an oscar a golden globe award and a national film critics award and a second new york film critics circle award in the mid 1970s uh jane really shifted her focus from acting to political activism um so kind of throughout like starting in the 1960s um jane started to get involved you know she strongly supported the civil rights movement and was opposed she opposed the vietnam war while she was in france she started to you know dip her toes in that activism and she was brought into contact with many french leftist intellectuals who were opposed to war 
In the mid-1960s, Native Americans wanted to take over Alcatraz and turn it into a culture center and a school. And in March of 1964, five Sioux attempted to seize the island under an 1868 treaty that allowed Native Americans to appropriate surplus federal land. And in 1969, a group of 89 people sailed through San Francisco Bay in the dark to attempt to occupy the land. Um, So this occupation was considered illegal, but the police claimed it was... Oh, blah, 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 blah. But the people claimed that it was their right by discovery, quote unquote, and offered to purchase the island for $24 in glass beads and bread cloth, which is supposedly how much the Native Americans received for or for the island of Manhattan, which I think was like such a good petty move there. So go, go them. Um, so Jane was one of the celebrities who visited the island and really, you know, used her budding stardom to um, to bring awareness to the situation. So after 19 months, the last of the protesters were forced to leave the island, but this set into motion many other protests for Native American rights. Um, Jane was also a supporter of Huey Newton, an African-American activist and founder, along with Bobby Seale of the Black Panther Party in the early 1970s. She was had also been a strong supporter of the feminist movement since the, the 1970s as well. So, in April of 1970, Jane, along with Fred Gardner and Donald Sutherland, got together to form the FTA tour, which officially stood for Free the Army, but was also a play on the troop expression F the Army. Um, This was an anti-road war show that was a response to Bob Hope's USO tour. As a part of this tour, they visited many towns up and down the, the West Coast, creating a dialogue with soldiers about their upcoming deployments to Vietnam. These interviews were used to create a movie titled FTA, which strongly criticized the war. Fonda also spoke out against the war at a rally organized by the Vietnam veterans against the war in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. She was rewarded the title of Honorary National Coordinator after starting a tour of college campuses to raise money for the organization. So Jane's involvement with the Black Panther Party made the government grow very suspicious of her, and she was put under surveillance. So she herself would host fundraisers at her home to raise money for the the Black Panther Party. And on November 3rd in 1970, after returning to the U.S. from an anti-war tour in Canada, she was arrested for suspicion of drug trafficking. Her bags were seized and several small baggies containing pills were taken. It was later confirmed these pills were vitamins. Jane expressed that she, you know, told them, these are vitamins, why are you taking them? But she believes that the White House wanted to create a scandal to cause her to um, have her later college speeches be canceled and for her to, you know, lose her respectability in the public. I know. That's just they were like out to get her. So in her mugshot, she she raised her fist in in solidarity um with the I think it was that was like a Black Panther thing, right? To raise your fist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she raised her fist. So her mugshot was widely publicized and like everyone was like, "Oh, man, she's so cool." And so I feel like it kind of backfired on them. Like, it it made her seem even more awesome. So, um, and later in 2017, she even sold merchandise with her mugshot to benefit the Georgia Campaign for Adolescent Power and Potential. Um, So in July of 1972, Jane, like many other civil rights activists, teachers, and pastors, traveled to North Vietnam to see the effects of the war firsthand. On the last day of her two-week visit, Jane was emotionally and physically exhausted. She had seen the effects of bomb damage in the dikes of North Vietnam, which was a strategic move to interfere with the food supply and essentially, you know, starve some people. She had visited villages, hospitals, schools, and factories that had been bombed, and she also visited American prisoners of war and brought back messages to their families. So during this last day, the Vietnamese soldiers 
gathered to sing Jane a song that, um, you know, it proclaimed that all men were created equal, they all deserved liberty and happiness, and in that moment, Jane started to tear up. She felt that these men were not the enemy, that they believed in the same things as Americans, and she even sang a song back to them, but she memorized, but she, you know, messed up the words really bad. She was just trying her hardest, and afterwards, you know, everyone was all laughing together at this, you know, attempt to sing, um, and Jane was kind of escorted to sit on top of a North Vietnamese anti-aircraft gun. They took a picture with Jane on it, and she didn't think much of it, but later, when she returned to the States, she was met with outrage and given the nickname Hanoi Jane. I know I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and I even looked up how to pronounce it, and I think I'm still pronouncing it wrong. Hanoi? I don't Hanoi. know. Don't. <laughs> I even, like, even while you were talking, I looked it up, and I forgot. <laughs> it's okay. Moving on. So people were furious about this picture, and, you know, rightly so. I think that, you know, being someone who maybe had a close friend or family that was off the war, um, it would be really easy to take this as a disrespect towards you, you know, instead of, and, and you know, it's kind of like when people kneel at the national anthem, everyone's like, you hate veterans. And it's like, no, um, you're missing kind of the the big picture. But in, in any case, you know, Jane wasn't intending to hurt anyone. It was just kind of a, you know, spur of the moment thing. So when she returned to the States, people were mad. Um, they believe she was disrespecting the army. And so in 2005, her book, My Life So Far, which I kind of want to read, um, Jane took responsibility for taking the photo and said she should have paid more attention to how it could have been interpreted. To this day, some members of the military hold resentment against Jane. In 2005, when she was doing a book signing for her autobiography, Michael A. Smith, a U.S. Navy veteran, was arrested for disorderly conduct when he spat chewing tobacco in Fonda's face. He claimed Jane had been spitting in the face of veterans and, um, I just lost my spot. Um, while you find your spot. Okay, go ahead. I cannot imagine not fighting this person. Like... I'm just trying to imagine somebody spitting in my face and, like, not taking them to the ground. Well, here's the thing. I don't know. So, he claimed that Jane had been spitting in the faces of veterans for 37 years and that a lot of veterans would love to do what he did. But Jane refused to press charges against Michael, even though I think she would have been 100% in the right to do so. Um, God bless her, because... Yeah, me and him, fisticuffs. But I think that just goes to show that she genuinely felt terrible about what had happened. And, you know, I think she had some, you know, sympathy for veterans, you know, in that moment, understanding why they might be so angry at her. And I think this is truly one of her biggest regrets in life, which, yeah, it's like so, it's like, that was like old-fashioned cancel culture, you know? Yeah. You make one little mistake and you're, you know, not allowed to learn from it or you're not allowed to, like, grow when it's like, come on, she's <laughs> been doing so much. And I think that's something that she kind of expressed in in later interviews. So she had so much regret about these comments and um, actions about the war. She said her intentions were to speak out against the killing, but in doing so, she caused harm to other people. She recognized her privilege of being able to go out and about and experience all of these things as, you know, a somewhat uninvolved, rich, white actor, and deeply regrets her lapse in judgment of taking the photo. So, in March of 2017, Brie Larson interviewed Jane for People magazine. As I stated earlier, Jane had been involved with the feminist movement for a very long time. She believes that one of the best things about the women's movement is that it's made people realize that abuse and rape is not their fault. She shared that she is a survivor of rape and that she was sexually abused as a child and that she had been fired before for not sleeping with her boss, which I can only imagine, you know, after the whole Harvey Weinstein thing came out. Imagine how much worse things were probably back when she was like getting her start in acting yeah. and that's you know getting fired only one time for not sleeping with her boss i can't imagine that there's not a million more stories but yeah you know she believed throughout her life that it was her fault that these things had happened to her and that she maybe just 
you know, didn't say no correctly or didn't fight back enough. So Jane has taken steps to make sure that no other survivors of abuse have felt this way. Um, I wrote in 202. 2002? Two, probably. Or 2020? <laughs> no, it wasn't in 2020. God, guys, I'm so professional. Um, at some point in time, she attended uh, the first summit for V-Day, a movement to stop violence against women that brought Eve Ensler, Afghan women oppressed by the Taliban, and a Kenyan activist campaigning to save girls from genital mutilation together. In 2001, she established the Jane Fonda Center for adolescent reproductive health at emory university that provided training and program development to prevent adolescent pregnancy and in 2004 jane led a march through ciudad juarez another thing that i should have looked up the pronunciation for to urge mexico to investigate the murders of hundreds of women in the dangerous border city she also that year served as a mentor to the first all transgender cast of the vagina monologues. Hey. Yeah. Cool. So there are many, many, many other accomplishments that I could discuss, but I will end with talking about Jane's lobbying for the environment. So in these kind of later years, she's in her eighties now and she is still, you know, kicking. She's doing great. Um, but she's been a loud opponent of oil developments and has highlighted <laughs> the devastating effects on the environment. In October of 2019, Jane was arrested three times in three weeks while protesting climate change outside the Capitol in Washington, D.C. So she, I think, I believe she actually moved out there to kind of station herself and she was doing these fire drill Fridays where her and other celebrities were getting together to protest um so she was first arrested with the oil change international then with her grace and frankie co-star sam watterson and then with the actor ted danson uh cheers or the good place anyone love him he's adorable and unproblematic i think knock on wood and he used to date whoopi goldberg which i think is adorable oh really (laughs) wow good for her (laughs) i loved him on cheers but like same i love cheers i after elizabeth left i didn't watch it at all anymore but um when i moved to boston i was like "Mm, i will watch the show because it's like a super boston thing and he's just so cute and he's in a good place like that's such a good show too um he aged very well just top notch yes (laughs) yes um so she has been i think arrested a few times because of her protests since then, I have um, in my notes that she was arrested on November 1st with Catherine Kinnear and Roseanne Arquette. Um, I think I was watching some YouTube interviews, and I think she may have been arrested one or two more times. But her stuff falls very much in the realm of good crimes, where one time she was arrested, she didn't even do anything besides have vitamins. She just, you know, and you know what? She's like alive and doing well in her 80s and like beat breast cancer and is just like overall killing it as a person so you know maybe we all should take some more vitamins and not be arrested (laughs) for that um and now she's just like killing it for the environment and like i just am i just love her i think from the start and this is well here's the thing is that i think many celebrities and even myself at first you know when i first started to get involved with feminism there's very much clearly a difference between white feminism and you know very much inclusive feminism fighting for all and to me it seems like she has always fought for every single type of woman and that is just incredible definitely you know before the times before it was like much more widely known she she has been there you know, speaking, trying to, you know, speak for every, not speak for people, even. I think that she has even, another wonderful thing that she's done is, you know, kind of given her platform to other people and let them speak for themselves. She's kind of like partnered with people and let them do all the talking, which I think a lot more people need to do. So I just like, I'm just like, what, like, what in your life made you such a wonderful human being? Yeah. When some celebrities Uh, are not wonderful human beings. (laughs) I think, first of all, like, hats off to Jane Fonda. Like, every, 
like all of her activism I think is incredible and yeah I think she's honestly paved like I think she's created like a framework or a model that you if you look at some of the younger like activist celebrities like nowadays um a lot are kind of following kind of you know like passing the mic um to you know women of color or trans women or um other marginalized or disenfranchised um people and like allowing them to use their platform to um i don't know kind of give a voice to you know the reality of their lives and their situations um i think that jane fonda like she exudes privilege in the way that I think privilege should be used. Um, because like, I think her activism is great, but the majority of us don't have the option to go get arrested every week and then have our job waiting for us. Right. Um, and, um, no matter how righteous the cause, no matter how on the right side of history that it is, like a lot of us just don't have like that freedom um but there is a good population um of people with substantial notoriety in this country who if they do something the world is going to look and the world is going to listen when they speak um and being able to acknowledge that you know fame and you know no fame and i guess having a platform isn't Mm -hmm. like the the end goal um and really using that and paying it forward and like i mean i wouldn't necessarily say that she's risking it all but she is risking it and Mm -hmm. um and like she does not seem to have any qualms about that and i think that even if her career had taken like a different turn and she you know wasn't starring in grace and frankie which i love the show um and like didn't get to like continue to have the career that she had i think that she would still today be very like proud of the decisions that she made um and like the things that she like decided to stand up for aside from you know the poor um you know her regrettable decision for uh that photo but in terms of her activism i think she's doing it right Right. and i think it's awesome well also like look look at the intentions i think that and that's what's troubling to me obviously i can't speak for veterans of the war or you know um all veterans people in the army but i think i think the anger is kind of misplaced at you know she and she points that out you know like i was a little bit ignorant and like i had the privilege to be able to travel across and like look at all these things and i think it would be very you could take like any person and put them in that situation and see you know the effects of bombing the effects of people suffering um you know people that didn't necessarily have uh you know like two nations are fighting but like what do some like innocent families have to do with that and should they have to suffer for for those reasons and i think it would be hard for anyone to you know see that and not come out you know thinking like her opinions on the war were just like we want i want people to stop being hurt on both sides you know she wasn't like america's terrible blah 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 she was just like wow this is just so hard to see and so hard to look at and you know when you get down on the ground level and talk to people and um you know here when she was like connecting with um the vietnamese soldiers who were like singing her the song about you know um the pursuit of like happiness and um Mm -hmm. how all people should like love each other that's great and i think you're right i think she finds a good balance between saying like yes i am a celebrity i grew up really privileged and i recognize that you know i had a lot of anger that was kind of misplaced in the situation and i didn't always know the best way to kind of channel that anger for for the greater good um yeah but yeah i mean like her mom died by suicide when she was like a little kid the fact that she's a functioning human being at all i'm like hats off to you that's incredible i can't even imagine what that must have been like Mm -hmm. um and it seems like she's really taken that pain and you know used it turned it into like empathy to to help other people and to help you know amplify Mm -hmm. the voices of others and just like a kind of final note or consideration about war like regardless of where you stand on like whether or not certain wars should have happened or um like who's right or who's wrong i think as americans we experience a privilege that no other country like 
has ever experienced. Like, we don't have war on our soil. Mm -hmm. We go to other places. So, like, when the Blitz is happening in England, like, these are, like, you know, people's elementary schools that are being bombed. Or when things are happening in Syria, that's their grocery store. And so, like, as much as, you know, there are, like political and um other you know big grandiose reasons for why these wars are happening like we as americans can never like we'll never understand what that is like to like look outside and see bombs going off like on the same street that you just drove your kid to school like right so there's like an aspect of it where it's like it's i'm not like that i don't I'm not, and I don't think she's, like, saying we're condemning, like, the soldiers. We understand the sacrifice, but... Absolutely. Like, I... And I think because of our, like, mental health background, I think that we, you know, have seen some things, like, almost firsthand. Not not firsthand, but, you know, heard stories We've secondhand. seen the effects. And, yeah. and seen the effects. And, you know, it is... You know, not to say that I can speak for, like, that we can speak for everyone's experience and that, you know, we know X, Y, or Z, but it is a terrible thing to go through. And I don't think that we are well-equipped enough to handle when people are coming back. Um, And then, like you were saying, like, the damage it does to, like, we're so privileged enough that people can come back and don't necessarily have to be exposed to those dangers at every single waking moment but we still even in our you know really nicely set up system we still do not have a perfect way to you know help people that that have seen some terrible really scary things so we're not trying to be political in any way like we yeah we just we're just just saying like it goes into it and there's a lot it's complicated right it's not there's many gray areas so It's and I think that's kind of where Jane Fonda was coming from. You know, she wasn't hating on all the people going off to war. She just didn't want to see people get hurt. And I think that's kind of where you and I are. We don't want people to get hurt. Um, yeah. And exactly. Gosh, Jane oh, Fonda. I want to find Jane her workout Fonda. video and see if I can do it without dying. <laughs> Good luck. I didn't even you do that. Get into that. I will, but yeah, I will not. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.